Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, Swine Robotics, SwineWeb.com, and Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about embracing the future of the swine industry. And joining us is Mr. Glenn Stolt. How are you doing today, Glenn? I'm good, Matthew. Thank you for having me. So you currently serve as the president and CEO of Christensen Farms. You're on the you're the chairman of the board for Triumph Foods, and you sit as the board of directors for Seaboard Triumph Foods, and you're very involved with the pork board. What do you do today, I guess, and what does your typical day look like, and how did you get here? Well, thanks for the question and the time, Matthew. So um, I'm a bit of an untraditional pig farmer or pork producer, however you want to call it. Um, I joined the organization back in 2010, uh, having served in a number of other finance and accounting-related capacities with other manufacturing companies in Minneapolis. I joined Christensen Farms as the CFO uh, and was later uh, asked to uh, replace Bob Christensen, who unfortunately passed away in 2012 as the CEO. And I've been doing that ever since uh, late 2012. Um, so today, to kind of get to your question, um, I preside as uh, the leader over our live production business here at Christensen Farms. I uh, have a team of people, obviously, that uh, that are very talented and focused on the live production business. So um, spending maybe a third of my time here on the live side, I spend the rest of my time in other activities, including governance-related roles at uh, Triumph Foods and our integrated uh, businesses, including Seaboard Triumph Foods and Daly's Premium Meats. So um, I, uh, I'm, I'm all over the place some, some weeks. Yeah, very busy, it sounds like. So we were, we were really talking about where this industry is today and where we're headed into the future. And in some ways, it feels like we're making a lot of progress. and others, it feels like we're taking a step backwards. If, if you could summarize where we are as an industry today, and I guess in a way, look back at the last decade and reflect forward towards what's best for the industry from a domestic and international perspective um, from where we're kind of at today? Well, I think the hallmark of this industry, and certainly um, some more so than others, just in terms of variation, is to continue to perfect our craft at pork production. Certainly at Christensen Farms, we believe in uh, the, the essence of excellence every day. How do we continue to improve excellence? I would tell you, coming from outside of the business, this business has got a lot of uncontrollables in it, uh, much, uh, much more than compared to other businesses. And so we have to be pretty agile and pretty flexible, adaptable at things coming at us. And I think uh, being excellent in what we do, um, because it's tough to be financially viable uh, and sustainable in this business is certainly important, but it's also being better at anticipating and and quickly adapting to changing circumstances, whether it's changes in 
economic markets, uh, export markets, certainly commodity markets, uh, health uh, comes into play. And probably more recently on an accelerated basis is this element of labor availability. And so we, um, we're challenged every day. It's a very execution-oriented uh, um, and, and uh, granular business uh, that keeps us busy every day. But uh, that all comes a bit at a cost uh, at looking at the business more strategically in terms of uh, where we're going in the future, to your question. So then as an industry, when, when you do look back a decade, nearly a decade, where have we far exceeded the expectations of where you saw this industry being? And where are we falling short? Well, again, I think excellence, uh, I mean, certainly our company, and I suspect many, many other companies out there like Christensen Farms has continued to improve um, their excellence in production, whether that be uh, through genetics, through nutrition. Um, certainly, I think that we've all had to grow up in a, you know, in a, in, a, in a business that continues to mature in terms of managing all the risks and so forth. So, um, we obviously went through PDV back in 14. We've had years of high grain prices in the last decade. Um, but we've also had been blessed with, uh, in fact, in 2020, export uh, or record exports, um, in part because of ASF uh, in other parts of the uh, of the world. So um, I think that, uh, you know, we've, we've done a lot of things to improve our business. I sense that we are more innovative in how we look at uh, things to improve the business. Um, but challenges uh, and headwinds abound. And, and as I mentioned earlier, it's uh, really around uh, labor, a bit on regulation, a bit on social licensing has been a, a greater challenge and concern for, uh, for us. Um, in terms of how the average consumer views us. But, um, you know, and that's never going to change. So we still have to kind of work hard. We have to try to uh, do what's right internally within our business. But we have to be better at getting outside the four walls of our business and promoting all the good things that we do for the environment, for animal nutrition and husbandry, uh, worker safety, but ultimately uh, what we bring to the grocery stores and an affordable, nutritious product for consumers across the globe. Really good point. It's a great transition into really where we want to focus today. And in, in a lot of ways, it's are we pig producers or pork producers, a little of both. When we look at the consumer and how we are marketing and communicating to that consumer, for, for years, there's been far many more producers that couldn't necessarily speak on their own behalf on a global scale like we might be able to do in, in select companies today. Uh, your guys, you guys produce a lot of pigs and you have a lot of influence and the ability to go out there and tell your story. How, how might we need to approach the whole consumer conversation a bit differently now than what we might have 20, 30 years ago? Well, let me start maybe, and I don't know if this plays into your question or not, but um, I recall back a number of years being at uh, World Pork down in Des Moines and um, the then Secretary Vilsack, the head of the USDA under the Obama administration, was there uh, presenting to all the pork producers or pig farmers, however you want to refer to us as. Um, and he had a compelling story thanking all of us for basically doing what we do. And he, he, he went on to say that 100 years ago, everybody across the globe, certainly across the U.S., were kind of considered farmers because they were farming for the nutritional needs of their own families and whatnot. And a century later, 
uh, agriculture, as we all know, has become more consolidated. It's still largely family-owned, but they're large family enterprises in many cases. And we bear the brunt, uh, the responsibility of now producing food for all people across certainly the U.S. and in many cases uh, across the globe as well. And, you know, we talked about that as a very positive thing for farmers because what it did is it allowed uh, others to pursue other uh, uh, passions and either being lawyers or doctors, nurses, you name it. And, and it just goes to the importance of what agriculture is then and certainly is today. Now, having said all of that, to your point, um, we still, I think, often uh, market ourselves across you know, outside of the industry, like we did in 1985, um, when, in, in our case, the pork checkoff dollars came in. Um, certainly, the National Pork Board was set up to work on educational and promotion and, and distribution and so forth. Uh, later, the National Pork Producers Council came in, which is more of a group that works on uh, regulatory and, and policy-related things and, and tries to open up exports and so forth. And, and in, in all candor, I mean, I, I think that, that the intention of what those organizations did back then and what their intentions are today is honorable. But what I think we're missing is, is a massive change in, the organ, in, in just the industry. Um, mm-hmm. Back then, we had many, many small, small farmers that needed that support. And today, most of us, like Christensen Farms, we, we kind of got to do it on our own because of the nature of our business, the scope and scale. And so while I think the, the, the industry associations and the people that we work with uh, in different avenues, uh, Minnesota Pork, uh, Minnesota AgriGrowth, for example, is yet another organization that does a lot of work. Uh, Animal Ag, Ag Alliance is out there doing a lot of great work. And, and I think it's just a, a continual challenge for us all to look at what is it that we're trying to accomplish and does what we're trying to accomplish meet the needs of the industry as it sits here today as compared to what perhaps it looked like in the 80s and 90s. Gotcha. And I was, I was in a couple of events and some of the topics that came up were whenever we're, whenever we're talking about the swine business in general, there's just tons and tons and tons of conversations around how can we be more efficient in producing the product as a whole. Very little communication around how do we evolve the product that we're selling to consumers. So the pig versus the pork. Uh, we're pork producers, and how, how do you see things changing in how the product is either being diversified from its from what it's been? Do you think we're going to have more variety? Uh, where do you think that that change begins? and getting the consumer what they're looking for, which seems to be more options. Well, I think, so in a non-labor constraint environment, um, which I'll come back to in a second, you know, I think it's incumbent upon any industry to be very laser focused on through insight studies and whatnot, whether that be in an international market here in the U.S. on what consumers want and what they need. Now, there's a little bit of a bias in this, there is, do they know what they want or are they led to take a position that's perhaps myopic um, and doesn't fully inform the full extent of, of what, what's, what's being talked about? And so, so if, if consumers are generally educated in terms of all the aspects of pork production or that of any other animal agriculture, 
Um, I think we have to be better at anticipating those needs, going out and looking at those niche markets, and again, producing a product that consumers want. That's what you and I would expect in anything we do, right, as, as, as in our personal lives. Now, when you kind of add in labor constraints into that, it makes it a lot more difficult because today, as we sit here today, and I think you see this in so many businesses, not just pork production or pork processing, is, is people are, are dying for labor. And uh, yeah, there's conversations about wages and this and that and so forth, but um, it, it's more difficult for us to fabricate, if you will, for lack of a better word, um, the products in our plants for various markets when we don't have labor in what in, a, in an environment that has has been automated to some degree, but still has a pretty large uh, need for manual kind of labor uh, in in the plants. Um, so, but it is a, it is an area that we need to get better at, and and it kind of goes to Matthew this element of of evolving as an industry. Um, and, and really kind of uh, thinking about other industries that have evolved in front of us and learning from those examples and applying those examples uh, as best we can to, uh, uh, to modern pork uh, production. That's an interesting thing you brought up too on the labor side that I kind of like to dig into and just get your thoughts on. It's a lot of producers, um, Especially in sow farms, let's say you're making above minimum. You're making you're making above a lot of cases the new minimum that they want to set at 15. But the moment you change that minimum to let's say a 15, and Walmart or all the fast food chains or some of them other local um, shops are at 15. Well, now you almost have to bump your pay even higher above minimum to incentivize individuals to go into a more rigorous and professional environment where it takes a lot of effort and a lot of passion to be good at what you do. And I'm just, what goes through your mind when you have to think about competing against other industries near you that might be taking that labor? Yeah, it's a, and it's a conversation that we have all the time here within Christensen Farms and even with uh, the board of directors of, of our plant operations and with those management teams, because you know, obviously, there's a combination of, of pay, um, certainly the benefits and all the things that kind of compensate people generally, but it's also about the environment in which they work at. So, you know, we're troubled with the fact that some people come to us and, and they generally know the job. They have never done the job, but they know what the job pays. They know the hours and so forth. And they come in and they ultimately decide not to stay there. And so our challenge is, is why? Is it the job is too hard? The environment isn't what they expected? Their boss and leadership isn't providing an invite, inviting environment? It's really kind of, we call it the employee life cycle, if you will. And we've got to kind of think about all of those things uh, together. But specifically with pay, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. If you, I mean, you know, I, uh, we are all about paying a fair wage. Like at Christensen Farms, there's, I don't think there's anybody making, unless they're part-time, making less than 15 bucks an hour. Um, and, and it goes up from there. In our plants, the same thing. So, so it's really about how are you, you know, competing against that labor, competing certainly in this environment against stimulus money where, um, hate to say it, people are somewhat uh, motivated to stay home. 
Um, so there's all these competing forces and we got to, we got to get at that. And then, you know, on top of that, um, you know, the slippery slope item is just immigration policy. Um, you know, there are certain visa programs that are very, very good visa programs to help us and our businesses and bringing legal workforce into our, into our businesses. But due to some of the definitional issues and some of those and the type of visas, they're not necessarily uh, constructed or, or designed to fit other areas of our business. So we're left a little bit um, without a supplemental, a supplemental alternative. Gotcha. Yeah, we actually, well, we're working on a workforce management technology. We had the opportunity to tour a Culver's chain and see some of their background processes around their labor, their training. And it was very apparent that the ability to adopt some of the processes that led to success, like customer service, um, were very easy for individuals to relate to because everybody can empathize with what it feels like to be in a line in a fast food restaurant waiting for 15 minutes before you get your burger. Very frustrating. So you put the effort to go do that. Then we translate that over to the sow farm. Nobody knows what it's like to be a sow waiting 15 minutes to get checked on again, which is farrowing. So understanding the why and being able to empathize with the situation, is it's a training process in itself. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think we've all ran into uh, fast food restaurants where you, you go in and they don't have any tables that you can sit at. And immediately we think, oh, it's because they're conservative on COVID and they're doing that. Well, I'm finding out that it has, in some cases, it has nothing to do with COVID. It has something to do with labor availability that they, they don't have anybody to empty the trash, to keep, keep the dining room clean and so forth. So they are doing drive in and take out and that's it. You know, I have to put a plug into uh, our one of our owners, Mary Ann Christensen. Um, she uh, she did something I think kind of unique here that just uh, hit the press in Mankato, Minnesota, which is uh, about forty five minutes to the east of us. Um, she has really been focused on how to return agricultural classes in the high school environments in rural Minnesota because as we go recruit our our production leaders that have been here twenty twenty five years, they would say that. You know, 20 years ago, we basically recruited farm kids that, you know, wanted to work in pork production. That isn't available as much anymore as many of those folks have, have gone to the metro areas and pursued, uh, as Vilsack said in his uh, remarks, pursued other things than uh, agriculture. And, and so Marianne Christensen um, basically uh, made a, uh, I think it was some type of grant uh, with the Mankato schools. And she did this uh, here locally in our, in our sleep, uh, sleepy eye schools where she is funding a multi-year program for agricultural teachers. And I can't remember the numbers exactly, but it is a quite a, a significant jump up in the number of students that have become more interested in those agricultural classes and so forth. So I think as agriculture in terms of labor, certainly immigration is one side, but we also have to figure out how to bring people into the business and show them a path of, 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 of uh, you know, career momentum and advancement as well. So as we bring this back, I guess, to the beginning, then the future of the swine industry, where is it going? We we're talking about telling our story, how things have evolved from you need the National Pork Board and the pork checkoff to go tell that story. Now it seems like everybody's kind of doing a little of each. And we've highlighted things like consumer preference, labor, finding labor, people interested to work in the farms, education. All of those things are a part of telling our story. So if we're going to tell our story, let's assume the producer becomes more involved. Do we have traction to build on 
or are we going to have to reset and start over? Is the consumer, is the potential employee, has that messaging been so mixed now that we almost have to wipe the slate and start over? Or do you think we have something to build on? Well, I'm, I'm probably going to um, make a few of my uh, peers across the industry upset, but I really do believe that we need to reset. Um, you know, we've seen uh, other challenges and there's mounting ones, uh, again, tied to uh, consumer naivety as it relates to how it could eventually impact pork processing, um, where states are now taking action on uh, particular states that aren't producing states, but they're taking action as to how we are to raise pigs uh, based on, you know, again, a myopic view or potentially myopic view of a, uh, of a consumer. And, and those, are, those are sticky topics whereby some of these, uh, some of our industry associations maybe don't or can't uh, kind of deal with because of the historical agenda and, and mandate and charter of those types of organizations. So again, it goes back to the structural change uh, more so than, than the people involved in these, uh, in these uh, associations, because I, I think everybody intentionally wants to do the right thing and wants to help the industry and whatnot, but structurally, we're just, uh, we're just uh, not uh, kind of structured in a way that supports the future of the, of the business. So how could we be better structured? How could we better collaborate towards something? I was, I know I was, I was looking at some, I was digging into prop 12 a bit and some of the the funding that went towards it to kind of get that push through. And uh, a lot of the bigger, it was just hundreds of thousands of dollars. It wasn't millions of dollars. It really wasn't all that much for it to get pushed through in California. It takes more to build a sow farm than what it did for some of the bigger groups to even fund the change. How, how I mean, do you start pushing money in opposition or how do you restructure? Well, I think you can, you can push money in opposition and, you know, obviously we see that in so many different forms and whatnot, but, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's probably a multi-pronged approach uh, related to um, working through legislators, obviously. Um, for example, you mentioned Prop 12. Um, I had a conversation here recently with, uh, with in a call, in a board call with, uh, with the commissioner of ag raising the prop 12 question and, and, and making sure that it's, uh, it's at least noticeable and, and, and perhaps in the dialogue here in the state of Minnesota, uh, because as a pork producing, uh, state, um, if we have consumers in the state of Minnesota that don't understand how pigs are raised, that it is not just one item, but it is hundreds of considerations that we take into. And I don't expect any consumer that's buying our pork to understand and have the curiosity to do that. But uh, if, if we have adversaries that, that don't like what we do, whether it's folks that are more vegan oriented or animal activists or whatever, um, I think it's important um, that, uh, that, that we get equally out in front of consumers um, to, to give them uh, a greater taste of what pork production is and that it's not just as easy as one item that they might be uh, told by an animal activist, for example, that the consumer would just naturally go, yeah, I'm not sure I like that. Um, because we as all, if we were non-pork producers, we would probably say the same thing. So it's, uh, it's again, a multi-pronged approach, but um, we got to start with, you know, I mean, we have to start with who, who's, 
do we have a group of good leaders that are interested in, in pushing this forward and looking at it perhaps a little bit differently? And again, it's not, I don't say this in a, in a way to, to, to ridic- uh, be critical of our industry associations or the people in them and so forth, but it just seems as though there are, there are more, you know, more targets on our back that are, are kind of unjustified or misunderstood um, than we did a decade ago. And, and I think uh, it, it, it's, it's a cause for, for change. And it's definitely, definitely not an easy thing to, to attack. I mean, to figure out how to re-envision the way we approach consumers, tell our story and make up for lost time on opposing groups saying that things are unethical or done wrong and you shouldn't, you shouldn't support this. It's definitely not easy, but there is a possible solution out there towards how we can make things right, how we can make an improvement. And I'm curious to you, if you were going to pick one thing about pork production, one thing about our industry, that is just the biggest opportunity to market to consumers right now. Do you have anything on your mind where you're like, we really should be telling this specific part of our story because where we are as a world today, it would resonate strongly. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I think the taste and affordability and nutritional value of our our that that has that's been there from the start, and that still is there today. Just last week, I uh, had, a, had lunch at a board meeting, and I had a chicken breast. With all due respect to my uh, chicken colleagues, and I had a uh, a pork loin, and I tell you, our product pork is uh, is is a wonderful if it's cooked right, prepared correctly. It's a great uh, source of protein for uh, certainly young adults as well as all of us, um, and uh, and, it, and it tastes great. It's affordable and so forth. So tying back even this bit of conversation with your point, you brought up Prop 12. I mean, when you look at Prop 12, you know, and 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 this isn't necessarily a legal uh, diagnosis of Prop 12, but um, I can't. I can certainly see what it's trying to do. Um, but it does not change. Prop 12 does not change the requirements that are at least generally stated out there. It doesn't change basically the quality of that product. It doesn't uh, change the safety of that product. Um, it actually, in my opinion, hurts the environment, will make it less uh, environmentally sustainable. It will make worker safety a greater concern for those of us that are looking to make our work environment safer every day. Um, so again, you know, it's an uphill b- battle to try and overcome some of these initiatives, but um, we, you know, we have no other choice uh, based on kind of really who we are and the missions that we have of our various organizations to, to fight the fight. And, and we've got to do that through our associations with the consumers Certainly, with our legislators and all the other stakeholders involved, to uh, uh, to, to to try to kind of create a, a catalyst of change in, in in the view of of this product. I love how you bring up sustainability on that regard because it is such a big topic. It, pork is closer to being carbon neutral than just about any other form of livestock. And when I meet with groups on the coast and they talk about sustainability. I'll talk about the increase in efficiencies, more pigs per sow per year, therefore results in less food and water needed to raise, to go through gestation for that sow to raise those pigs. I mean, it's more sustainable, the more efficient you are, the more you can. And it's just, it's just, it's not a way that's been, been looked at. I don't think, unfortunately, 
but I love how you bring that up. And, and as we close here, I'd love for you to, I guess, give one golden nugget or chop here to the industry uh, or listeners, uh, something you learned in your life, some word of wisdom, uh, wise words of wisdom. Well, thank you, Matt, uh, Matthew, for not only the, the entire half hour here, or our time together, but for that question as well. And, you know, the, the, you know, the, the reality is we're all students of our businesses. Um, I feel like I'm a product of, of a number of great mentors that I've had in my life. And um, I will tell you that some of those mentors are, are uh, folks that had actions uh, that I didn't want to emulate, but they were mentors nonetheless. But there was a whole host of them that had, you know, actions and leadership traits and, and business acumen that I've worked really, really hard to, uh, to emulate. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is no matter whether you're the CEO of an organization or you're growing in your career uh, or you're on a board or whatever, wherever you are in your career, you, you never stop learning. You never t- stop seeking, uh, you know, the input and perspective of others, whether you buy into it or, 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 or not. Um, and the reason why all that is, particularly in leading a business of our size, is, is I think, um, you know, every business has a maturation process. And as you go in that maturation process, as you, as you face changing environments, it's incumbent upon the leaders of that organization to make sure that we have the talent, uh, the talent in our people and so forth to kind of not only meet the challenges of today, but also go forward. And I think in agriculture in particular, um, we are challenged with a transitional movement from kind of an entrepreneurial mindset to that of one of enterprise leadership and general management. Entrepreneurs is the lifeblood of agriculture. I mean, they're the ones that built the business, built this industry. But entrepreneurs aren't always known as good runners of business. No different than those of us that run businesses probably could have never done what entrepreneurs done. So, you know, no different than a business going in life cycle. I think also you got to monitor what's the needs of the business from a leadership standpoint. And do we have the right people in the right chairs uh, to, to move the business forward. Well, thanks, Glenn, for for joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast. It's it's a real honor to have you on here, and I'm sure everybody has gained a ton from from having you here. So, thank you for your time. Well, I appreciate it, Matthew. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.